All right. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. And uh, I love that the services are, are the freedom to take a little different turn. Uh, the, the only side in my humanness is, is I'm looking that uh, um, we are going to be willing to be a little bit over because I would not want to cramp the time for Pastor Jonathan Watson today, our speaker, at all. Um, you know, he, he's very humble about, uh, about his uh, abilities, but uh, he has led so much transition and change at Bella Vista Assembly God over, you said 16 years? Uh-huh. 16 years. And that church in that community at one time was just viewed as this is a retirement church in a retirement community. And, and that's okay to an extent, but there has to be a next generation to, to lead. And there has to be a visionary pastor to bring that. And that is not easy. There are books upon books upon books and scholars and doctorates and all kinds of people focus on how does a church transition and change. And I've read some of those books, but I am in awe of of all the things that he has accomplished and and does well at. Um, And and it ties into his uh, communication uh, gifting. But uh, he has led amazing change uh, at Bell of Assembly. And so a while back, I've been wanting him to come speak anyway, and I thought, you know, we're getting ready to hit a big transition, a big change, and no matter what he speaks on today, the fact is that oozes out of him, if that's a good (laughs) analogy. Transition and change in the right way oozes from his personality and his leadership. So I thought, how fitting to have him come and speak to us. And um, so those that missed this morning, late, you have to tell them. You picked the wrong day to play hooky. (laughs) All right, Pastor Jonathan, come and, and just take your time, brother. So, <clears throat> it is wonderful to be with you today. I, I have an ear infection, so it's going to sound like this. <clears throat> but it's an amazing illustration of one of the points that I'm going to make today. It's funny. I could not be more thrilled to be with, here, be with you here today and to be with your pastors, to be with you um, folk brummets and, and you ladies. It's amazing how if you, if you stay in any one place long enough, you... Uh, you get connected with people, and then you see how the Lord uses all of us in these different dynamic ways. It's a wonderful thing <clears throat> for me to be here with you this morning. Uh, back at my home church, I actually have a, a cousin of mine who is, was elected to be a deacon in our church, and this is going to be his first time preaching for our for our fellowship for our our church family. And so it's neat how God is doing something here, God is doing something there, God is doing, still doing something at Rogers First, God is still doing something in Lowell, God is at work in this place, but this is the place that he has got us together with today to be in his presence and to hear of his word. <clears throat> if you turn with me to Exodus chapter 13, Pastor CJ said that I, I could come and he really felt like the Lord might speak to us about change, about transition. Um, one of the things that I appreciate about change and transition is that when you go with it, when you embrace it, in God, you don't just end up with something different. Change can mean I'm going for something I know to something that's different. But, but in God, when he takes us from one place to another, it's not just transition. It's also transformation. That God takes where you are and then makes a whole new thing out of the situation, a whole new thing out of you, a whole new thing in the midst of this crazy world. We don't just experience change. We experience transformation. And transformation, I love that word because God takes something which is this and makes something into that. I prayed about which of the Bible stories I ought to launch off of. And there are many. But God took me to the exodus the transformation of his people from a slave-minded people into an overcoming people, the transformation of his people who had been in bondage for 400 years, yeah, and, and prayed, send us our deliverer, send us our deliverer, send us our deliverer. They prayed generation after generation after generation, then God answered their prayer, and then they fussed about it. <clears throat> yeah. So I, and then God did some amazing miracles when Moses showed up and and he made his appeal to the Pharaoh let my people go and the Pharaoh made it worse and the people griped but they didn't know that what God had intended was going to be worth the pain see the Pharaoh took away some of their hay and some of their straw made their job harder and it 
he thought it would turn their hearts away from God's ultimate fulfillment of destiny. But this thing that they prayed for for generations in the transformation process resulted in pain. They had prayed, send us a deliverer, send us a deliverer. They wanted it badly from God. And then when they got what they asked for, you know the old earthly saying, be careful what you pray for because you might just get it. Well, with God, that's true too. They prayed and they had this hard time. And so then finally the 10 plagues, yeah, if you've read the Bible stories, you know, and I won't preach all that, but God shows up and proves that he is at work in a miraculous, dynamic way. He proves in a way that even the Pharaoh could not deny that God was at work. And so he says, go. And so they leave, these millions and millions of Hebrew people who had come in with Joseph as an important people, an important economic resource, an important partnership, but through those generations had become set upon and abused and wounded and overcome. They move out into this desert. Well, read with me if you would, Exodus chapter 13 and verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people. I don't know if you're a Bible underliner, but I'd like for you to emphasize that in your scripture. God led the people. God led the people. He led them around, by the way, the wilderness toward the Red Sea. That also is significant in the sermon I'm about to preach to you. He led the people toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in the pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. There's another emphasis I'd like to make. The Lord went before them, and he led them along the way literally with the pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. If you've read the story, you remember. If you haven't, I recommend you go back and read the whole story. I'm going to hi- highlights for you. But, but those of us who read the story, he led them along the way. It can be easy to forget when you're at the edge of the Red Sea and the Pharaoh's army's behind you, you've got a mountain on one side, a mountain on the other, ocean behind you, and an army coming. It's hard to remember, God led me here. God led me here. But it's important to remember. God led them along the way, and by night, the pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by, by day and by night. Verse 22, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Verse 14, <clears throat> chapter 14, crossing the Red Sea. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in, pr- in front of Pahahiroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. God brought them to the edge of that sea. In fact, he specifically directed them right there. <clears throat> this is significant. Verse 3, 4, Pharaoh will save the people of Israel. They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants had changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we've done, that we've let Israel go from serving us? And so he made ready his chariot, took his army with him, and took 600 chosen chariots. This is the largest standing army in the world at that time. Horses and chariots with their metallurgical advancements and technology made the Egyptians the most feared army of its time. And so when, when it says they rolled out their chariots, it would be like, it would be like saying he rolled out the tanks. Uh, it would be like if we had to stand against, you know, drones and, and, and bombs from the sky and You know, it's just an impossible task. We don't think about chariots in that way. We think about them as just being transportation. They were the ultimate war technology of their day. And Egypt had every advantage on these people. He rolled out his chariots and all the officers with them. Verse 8, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel, while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. And the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and his army, and overtook them, and camped at the sea, 
by Pahahiroth in front of Baal Zephon in the place where God had brought them. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us? So that's what they said to to Moses. What have you done to us? They prayed for generations. Send us a Messiah. Send us a deliverer. The deliverer comes in the form of Moses. Then whenever it gets tough, they look at Moses and say, what have you done? So funny. So funny to me. Not like funny ha-ha, but like funny ironic. What have you done to bring us out of Egypt? Verse 12, is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Only there's no place that it says that in Scripture. There, it doesn't say that before. But they have a revisionist history, it appears to me, by the edge of this ocean. <clears throat> they are scared. They believe they will die. And in that time, they turn on their leader and they say, we should, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in this wilderness. Verse 13. And Moses... He said to the people, fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. Oh, powerful prophetic utterance, which the people I I would uh, propose to you did not believe at all in that moment. A powerful prophetic utterance that we, having heard the story for thousands of years, accept and embrace. But in that moment when, when he said, stand firm and be bold for these Egyptians that you see today, you'll never see again. I can just tell you from a man who's looked at the faces of many people and made them sort of try to believe in a future that they don't currently believe in. They look at you like this. Okay. If you say so, I, that sounds great. If we'll see. I guarantee you the people were not uh, emboldened as mighty warriors in that moment. When he, when he brought them an utterance, uh, a, prof- a prophecy of something which would blow their minds, the things which God was about to do to fulfill this word through Moses was about to change everything. In fact, the, the, the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea, the miracle of the feeding of the manna in the wilderness, the process of generations dying off so that they could be transformed into a whole new people, that which was yet to come, these people could not imagine. But God knew. God knew. And when he brought this word, these people whom you see today, you will never see again, I, I tell you in every confidence that I have that these people had no idea what God was about to do in fulfillment of this. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and his chariots and his horsemen. Verse 18, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea a dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left, the Egyptians... I just want to encourage you not to allow people who are not Bible people to dictate the way your mind conceives of what the Word of God says. We have another revisionist history, just like these people who said, uh, you know, we told you to leave us in there. Nobody said that. If they wanted to stay in Egypt, they could have stayed. They absolutely could have stayed. They were not taken out there by force. There was a parade leaving. They joined the parade on their own free will. In modern America, we have, we have folks, good folks, they're called cessationalists. That means they don't believe in the miraculous of God in the current age. They believe that all miracles stopped after the apostolic time. When the apostles died, that was it for miracles. That's what they believe, and that's what they teach. They're Bible people, but they don't believe in miracles. And when they talk about the miracles of the Bible, 
they tend to poo-poo the miracles. You know what I mean? When I say poo-poo the miracles, they, <clears throat> they try to explain away the Bible. I just want you to know I'm not one of those guys. I don't try to explain away the Bible. I try to just explain the Bible. I don't try to, to explain away what God did so that humans can find the Bible more palatable. I have made it my belief, my life's goal, to help people to embrace the Word of God so that they can live in a biblical and godly way. And when it says that, that God drove back the sea on both sides, please don't believe this revisionist mentality that, that the Red Sea was in this drought phase and there were natural reasons that could explain this. It's not what the Bible says, and it's not true. It's not true. I don't believe it. And number one, if that were true, the fact that God drowned the entire Egyptian army in a couple inches of water would have been another whole miracle. <clears throat> you know what I mean? The people who explain it away by natural means, how did God drown the whole army in, in something which was dried up? And, and people come up with all these wackadoodle explanations to try to explain away the Bible. Please don't take much time explaining away the Bible. Just, uh, I think if what you want to do is learn how to follow Jesus, just take it for what it says. That's what we are. We are people of the word. We're Jesus people and we're Bible people. And if you'll just let the Bible speak and, and take it for what it says, I think you'll find following God's going to be a lot easier on you. And so this miraculous thing happened. The walls of the water stood up on both sides. The Egyptians pursued, verse 23, and went into the midst after them. In the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen in the morning, watched the Lord in the pillar of fire, and the cloud looked down upon the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, verse 25 clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against us. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. And so Moses did that. He stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned into its normal course when the morning appeared as the Egyptians fled into it. And the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all of the hosts that Pharaoh had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus... In this way, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And so the people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Uh, the first point I'd like to make for you, in, in times of change. So this church, I want you to know this church is a fulfillment of a dream. So I'm, I'm, I don't pretend that I am like um, Martin Luther King Jr. I, I, I don't want to preach to you I have a dream, but I do want to testify to you that I had a dream. <clears throat> a man who lived in this community, but what became my right arm man in Bella Vista, we would, I would drive over here and pick him up and we'd go to lunch and we'd drive through Centerton and he would say, Centerton needs an Assembly of God church. And I'd say, sounds good. And then we'd come back through to drop him off, and he'd say, you know, there's a lot of churches in Centerton, but they, they need a Pentecostal Assemblies of God work. And I said, hallelujah. Didn't bother me for him to say that. <clears throat> as, as literally years went on, and he continued to say that to me regularly, all of a sudden the, I, I started catching a burden for it. And so I came back to my board, and I said, I'd like for us to think about planting a church in Centerton. And, and one of my board members said, why would you do that? <clears throat> and I said, well, what do you mean? He said, in Bella Vista here, you're, you're growing, you're working, you're, you're doing good. Why would you take energy, resources, people, and start another church? Why don't you just grow the church you're growing? And I said, well, I kind of feel like God wants us to do it. And he kind of said, well, we'll see. <laughs> you know what he told me? He said, I think we should put a savings account in place. This money that you want to do to start a church, we should put a savings account in place for a rainy day. And I said, well, I, I appreciate fiscal responsibility. How much do you think <clears throat> should be in there? And he said, well, 
Um, he said, how much are you proposing for the church plant? And I said, $3,000 a month. He said, that would probably be good in a savings account. <clears throat> so I asked him, if I can fit into the budget $3,000 a month for the church plant and $3,000 a month into a savings account, would you vote for that? And he smiled at me because I know what he was thinking. He's thinking, there's no way the kid can budget that. And he said, yeah, I'd vote for that. I thought, oh, I got him. <clears throat> and so I built the budget for the next year. And, uh, and when I proposed it, he just looked at me and I looked at him and he nodded and I nodded and we passed it. And so for two years, we set aside $3,000 a month. <clears throat> we ended up saving up a little over $60,000 from our church to be a part of this church planting work. And, and then there were a number of other churches that joined in. And, and so Jimmy Ray, we, I had put it out there that this is going to happen. And, and Brad McMath said, I want to introduce you to a guy. And Jimmy Ray came and we met. And so, <clears throat> so you, this church started meeting at our church for a few months. And then we, we launched out. And I drove past the storefront where this church originally started. It was just in a little storefront down there. And then, it, and then when Gamble Elementary got built, it moved into the school. And then, and then, uh, and then into this place that was all remodeled and done. And so now you're here. And so a lot of changes have taken place. And it started with a, a, an annoying associate pastor who had a vision from God about a church that would meet in this place. And you all are here in fulfillment of a prophecy that I didn't know was a prophecy. I thought it was just conversation. Turned out it was a prophecy. And as he said to me, this church will be important in this place if we could just see one here. And I shrugged my shoulders and said, okay, well, we'll see. <clears throat> I had no idea what God was about to do in the same way that when Moses said to those children of Israel by that sea, you'll never see these Egyptians again. And that was a fact. What was being said happened. And they had no idea the mind-blowing way that God would be doing this. I feel that I had the same experience with the existence of this church <clears throat> that he said to me, this there needs to be an Assembly of God church. I didn't know it would become my burden, and I didn't know. And, and after this church was launched out from our church, then I went through a very hard season in my church, a lot of deaths, a lot of leaving. It was When this church was launched out, it was right in the middle of that um, uh, banking bust and the um, uh, mortgage bust. It was right in the middle of all that. It was a terrible time to start a new church. I just wonder why God didn't know any better <clears throat> than, to, than to do what he wanted us to do in a much, you know, in a more affable time. God's funny that way. Sometimes I, I think about him and I, I think, boy, if he would just get my recommendations in advance and do what I tell him to do. These are the foolishnesses of the flesh, and yet it's hard for us not to think that we might even know better than God, but I want you to know we don't. He has a plan, and here's the point I would like to be the overarching point of the whole thing. You are where God wants you to be. And you'll get where God wants you to get. I believe that to be true. You're in the hands of God. You're not in the hands of fate. You are in the hands of God. And you are where he wants you to be. And you will be where he wants you to be. Your enjoyment of the journey has mostly to do with how well you're able to accept that. <laughs> how, how much you're able to lean into God instead of kicking against the goads. <clears throat> how willing you are to transform because that's what he wants you to do. He doesn't want you to be you in the future. He wants you to be revolutionized. He wants you to to be transformed by the washing of the word and the spirit. He wants you to, as your time goes by, to grow and transform. He wants your family to grow and transform. He wants your church family to grow and transform. And we are seeing that. But what I, what I believe and what I would like for you to be able to believe is that you are where God wants you to be. And you will be where God wants you to be because you're in the hands of God. What, it, what that doesn't mean is you're not going to have any problems. I don't, I'd like to be able to preach that sermon to you. I just don't find it anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere. <clears throat> Every time God wanted somebody to be where he wanted them to be, it was almost always a journey of brokenness. 
Always. So I, I can't preach to you that if you'll just obey God, he'll take away all your problems. I'm not here to preach that to you. What I'm here to tell you is it will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. God will transform your mind. He'll transform your life. He'll transform your family. He'll transform your faith. He will bring you where he wants you to be. You are in his hands. The children of Israel standing by that sea looked at their leader and said, why did you do this to us? We are not where we should be. But they were not right. They were right where God wanted them to be. <clears throat> it's just where God wanted them to be was terrifying admittedly terrifying, terrifying for every good reason that it should have been terrifying. How, when do I need to end? When am I supposed to have ended? Ten? Uh, ten? <clears throat> All right, I'm gonna, I'll roll then. At 11? Well, I got the time then. <clears throat> it was terrifying for, for every reasonable being standing before there, but, I, but they were where God wanted them to be. He specifically led them there. And by specifically, I don't mean even just by happenstance. I mean that an angel of the Lord and a pillar of fire by, <laughs> by night and a pillar of cloud by day actually led them. The Bible says multiple times and for a specific reason. God led them there. God led them there. The people of Israel, the Jewish people have for millennia taken strength from this journey of the exodus if you ask a jewish person what in their even modern mentality is the most formative thing in their reality they will tell you the crossing of the desert by the jewish people in this telling is the most formative thing for their people even today thousands and thousands and thousands of years later it this was such a transformative thing that any jew you meet if you talk about anything they will in some point in that conversation make reference to this happening that's how life-changing, that's how transformative this reality was in the history of the people of God. And God had brought them there so that they could experience what they needed to experience so that they as a people could be transformed and pave the way for everything that was about to happen. I believe that to be true. But in the moment, it was very uncomfortable. <clears throat> Change is very uncomfortable. The cocoon seems very tight to the to the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. But without the cocoon, the, the chrysalis, the transformation doesn't take place. Wouldn't it be arrogant of the butterfly to say, I know that I'm halfway through transforming, but this cocoon's a little tight for me. Well, without that, if you cut a, a butterfly out of its cocoon mid-transformation, it will never form. It will die. I don't know if you know that, but masochistic boys discover that. <clears throat> we experiment in the world to try to figure out what the truth is, and you think, I want to see what's going on in there. And when you cut them out, you're not their liberator. You are their destroyer because they have a, a, a plan that they are undergoing. And so it is in our lives. <clears throat> if we get into the middle of God's transformative plan and we decide to abort that plan, because we're afraid, because we're uncomfortable, because we convince ourselves that this surely can't be what God wants for me, for my children, for my future. If we, in the middle of that plan, abort that plan, what we often do is we don't, listen, I don't believe that we have the power to change God's sovereign will, but I think we have, God gives us the privilege and, and the ability to put ourselves out of his will and I believe that when, when we do that, it makes our transformation process a lot longer. I'm not saying that you're not going to get where God wants you to get. That's what I'm telling you. He's going to get you there. You better just lean into him because whatever it is that he's doing, you're going to have to take this test until you pass it. Remember that teacher? That teacher that wouldn't let you fail? That teacher said, you don't fail in my class, but you're going to keep taking this test until you pass it. I think we serve a God who has that same heartbeat. You're not going to fail, but I'm going to make you take this test until you pass it. And there are people who can spend all their lives circling that same reality, wondering why they never advance, why they never transform, why they never become. And I think it is because we're fighting against God. But like the children of Israel here, I think it's very reasonable in that time of terror 
But if in those moments we know that we are where God wants us to be and that we will get where God wants us to get, it gives us the ability to rest in him. Because in those moments, I think there will be doubts, there will be delays, there will be difficulties in this earth, but it will be worth it all. The Red Sea parting was an amazing miracle, but it was not the end. And wouldn't it be great if in that story, after the parting of the Red Sea, that was just the end of the story? You wouldn't have had all the people dying in the desert because they refused to cross the Jordan. You wouldn't have had all the people who were in rebellion. You wouldn't have had Moses being disobedient by hitting the rock instead of speaking to it in his frustration. Wouldn't it have been great if in that highlight moment it just stopped? But this is true about life. It doesn't happen that way. You don't get to stop at the highlight moments. Even these miracles, these transformative miracles, are, are often not the end. So you'll have a temptation when you get into that new facility to think, what a miracle. Here we are. I think that the move from this facility to that facility is going to be an incredibly positive move, much like the move from the children of Israel from one side of the Red Sea to the other. <clears throat> it is going to be amazing. I just don't want you to think that that was the goal of the whole thing. It never was. Getting into a new building is not the end of what this church is called by God to do. It's just a process. It's just this has been a, a chrysalis, a transforming time of what this congregation has been and what this congregation will be. I don't want you to think, like the parting of the Red Sea, I guess that's, that's what I would like to make this sort of equal to in your experience through what you're going through. <clears throat> what your pastors have accomplished through the leadership that they've done, the resources they've gathered, the RV Maps people that you've brought in, the, the folks in this congregation that you have horsewhipped into, <clears throat> into being aggressive for Jesus, I am blown away by what you've accomplished. I look at what you are doing, and I, I can't even imagine myself being able to do what you guys have done. I just It blows my mind to see what you've done and how you've done it. The hundreds of thousands of dollars that you have saved out of this thing by your own blood, sweat, and tears and the years of your life that you all have given up on the back end. I guarantee you this building project is going to cost CJ years of his life, but he's given them to Jesus. I watched this whole process, and I want you to know that there are there are times where there are doubts and discouragements, frustrations. There are times in the process of transformation that there is the times that we wish we'd never done it. I want to confess to you that after I gave away $60,000 in cash, which I had saved up, and, and the seed people to start this congregation, which were like 30 to 40 people out of our congregation, which were all precious to me, and... I, I, the money, the people, and the giving that those people represented into the future. And then that summer, we had a big downturn in attendance. Offerings were down. Attendance was down. Everything was down. I want you to know I cried multiple times, actual tears, actual tears saying, what have I done? <laughs> oh, God, I repent. <clears throat> I was being obedient to him. I was stepping out by faith. I was doing what God had called me to do. I was obedient. And after we saw that, that, Red, after I had my Red Sea experience with this congregation, I wished I hadn't done it for purely flesh reasons, not obedience reasons, not God reasons. So I don't want you to look at me and say, boy, if, if every pastor was like this guy, you do not want that. <clears throat> you don't want that. If it, oh, boy, if we just all had the faith of Jonathan, you don't want to say that. <laughs> I want you to know my real experience in my in my Red Sea part, this is your Red Sea part. You're going through it right now. In my Red Sea part of what God is doing in this thing and the part he had me to play, I, like the, like the Israelites, kind of wished I could go back to the old way. <clears throat> it was nice back when all these people were giving in my offering basket. It was nice back when the, these people were sitting in my pews, <laughs> which is all a lie from the devil. It's a lie from the enemy. See, I, what I know is this. The kingdom of God often grows through division and multiplication, just like a human baby. A human baby is one fertilized cell that divides and then multiplies. 
And one becomes two, and two becomes four, and four becomes eight, and eight becomes 16, and 16 becomes 32. And then you become you. But when you have that one cell, just think if that cell said, I'm not willing to give away 50% of what I am to some other cell. It'd be ridiculous. <clears throat> but none, no, none of us would be here. And that one cell doesn't become less by dividing. It becomes more. <laughs> that, that baby, which is forming by God in his mother's womb, in her mother's womb, it doesn't detract from the mother. It adds. It doesn't take away a life. It multiplies life. This church did not take anything from me. And yet, in the doing of it, there was some pain. There was some disillusionment. There was some misunderstanding on my part. There was my desire for my ego. And, and for years, I wondered if I had really heard the voice of God at all. That's terrible for me to say. It's a shameful thing for me to say. I gladly confess it to you because I want you to know transformation is not easy and it's not simple. And obedience is not easy and it's not simple. But when you do it, it's wonderful. <clears throat> it's wonderful. I can foresee a future in which, well, the truth is this Church family is now larger by numbers than Bella Vista Assembly of God was when I was voted in. And so now we have two congregations out of one, which are both larger than that one was at the very beginning. Now that's division and multiplication. And I didn't know that God was speaking what he wanted to see happen. And, and yet when I fulfilled what I feel was God's call, the emotional journey of that was very difficult. But I am standing here today with a great sense of fulfillment in my heart to know what God has done and is doing. What I want you guys to know is this very hard thing of building this building and, and transforming and getting through and the temptation you'll face on the other side to just say, well, we've arrived. <clears throat> I just want to encourage you. Keep going. Keep going. And the emotional journey that you are on and will continue on I just want you to know from this journeyer, it's okay. God has you where he wants you to be. And he will get you where he wants to get you. You are in his hands. Changes are tough. <clears throat> They're tough, and what they can often do is put you in a position where you get frustrated with the leaders in front of you. What you actually are is frustrated with God. But we shake our little fists at him, and it doesn't matter. So instead, we shake our fists at some, his representative on the earth. I just want you to know that financially, culturally, the transformations that are going to take place between this place and that new place, I don't know what's going to come. I don't know what challenges you're facing. It'll be tempting to throw CJ under the, Pastor CJ under the bus on the journey. I just want to encourage you, you don't have to do that. You will, but you don't have to. You'll be tempted to, but you don't have to. The children of Israel certainly did. And I myself have experienced it multiple times. <clears throat> so the mother church of this church, Bella Vista, so I've been there for, I'm, I'm now in my 15th year as a senior pastor. That church has grown every year for 15 years in a row. I am voted on every three years. My vote for re-election has gone, the percentage of people who voted for me to be re-elected has gone down every time. For 15 years, I've been voted on seven times. And every time I have been voted on, my voting percentage is getting lower every time. Every time. The church has grown for 15 years in a row, but the percentage keeps going down. And I was very hurt by that. And I asked my dad, I said, Dad, this doesn't make any sense to me. What do they want from me? Why do they keep, why do fewer and fewer people or members of my church vote for me to stay as the pastor? And he said, Jonathan, it's tough when your leader is a leader. And he said, if Jesus Christ was set to be voted on in the church, he would not get a unanimous vote. He said he'd get a 10% no vote right off the bat just because he can't be leveraged and controlled. <clears throat> he said, you think people like to follow visionary leadership? No, visionary leadership scare the fire out of you. People want comfort. They don't want leadership. They don't want to be stretched. They don't want transformation. They want to be happy. They want to be peaceful. And so when we leaders lead, I think that people like to jerk our chains. I just want you to know that all of these things, all any accolades anybody puts on me, what I know is my people, fewer of them vote for me every single time they get an opportunity. <clears throat> it's a funny thing. 
But you don't have to do that to your pastor, okay? If you don't want to, you don't have to. I just want you to know from this guy, I'm giving you permission to just be nice to him through the whole journey. And you can do that if you want to. And I would like to encourage you to do that. But Moses, at one point in that desert, turns to the Lord, right? And he says, these people who you gave me, remember that? These people that you gave me. And so the people feel that way about Moses and Moses feels that way about them. That's part of the journey. It's part of transformation. It is uncomfortable. What you want is somebody to make you comfortable. But that is what the Antichrist will be. The Antichrist will be a man of peace. The Antichrist will be a man who makes promises that he never intends to keep. The Antichrist will fix people's temporary problems, but with the goal of enslaving them, not with the goal of freeing them. Be careful what you want and who you follow. Changes often bring leadership problems, and they bring followership problems. I want to encourage you to just be sweet to each other. I want to encourage you that when you feel like they're not following you very good, when you turn to the Lord and you say, these people that you gave me, I just want to let you, just encourage you to pray all the way through that until the Lord brings you where he wants you to be. And, And when you feel that way about your pastor, you can be nice to him if you want to. So the problems that they were facing at that, at that transformative point, the miracle of the Red Sea parting, he says to them something awesome. He says, these Egyptians that you see today, you'll never see again. What I want you to know is that when you overcome your challenges, they will be in your past. So congratulations. Uh, what you've done these last few years of being both a general contractor and a pastor, that's a devastating responsibility to take on yourself but it's about to be in your past. Congratulations. The stress you've been under, I'd say the hair you've lost, but you have an incredible head of hair. The weight you've probably gained from, you know, self-comforting through carbohydrates, the pain you have felt, the sleep that you have lost. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for for being the guy that I prayed for who would lead this church. God didn't call me to be the pastor of this church. He's called me to create an environment. And who knew that you would be the pastor of this church? Who knew? That's that's amazing. We didn't know when we were in Bible college. I can remember sitting in the gym right next to a svelte, young, handsome, clean-cut, military haircutted dude named CJ. You never knew, we never knew in that moment how you and I would be tied together. We never dreamed it. But here we are in the hands of God doing what he's called us to do. And when you get through these problems, they're going to be in your past. Hallelujah. When you need to follow God and be obedient to him, I just encourage you to get in on it. You know what I mean? Just do it. Just whatever it costs you, whatever it takes, 100% just follow Jesus because whatever he's taking you through, it will eventually be in your past. And sometimes that's the greatest thing you can say about it. Sometimes you don't thank the Lord for this thing you just went through. Sometimes you just thank the Lord you're through it. God will get you through it and it'll be in your past. And sometimes a thing looks a lot better in the rearview mirror than it did through your windshield. And you're about to get there in this particular part of your journey. I just want to encourage you, don't, get, don't, don't grow weary in well-doing as leaders. Don't grow weary in well-doing as followers. He's going to get you there, and the hard part, it'll be in your rearview mirror, and it won't be too long now. So stay strong. Isn't that, what, isn't that what he said to those people? Stay strong. God just wants you to watch what he's about to do. Moses encouraged them. I, I don't think it worked. And I'm here to encourage you, and I'm not sure you're buying what I'm selling at all either. But I'm preaching anyway. You showed up, so I'll just preach it. The parting of the Red Sea, the deaths in the desert, transformed a slavery-minded people into into an army of overcomers that fulfilled the divine destiny that God had. I believe that in this time of transformation, which you are currently experiencing, this chrysalis, um, this 
this fire that you have been through. See, transformation doesn't take place in easy times. Transformation takes place in times of pressure and heat. Do you want to know the difference between a charcoal briquette and the diamond in your wedding ring? Heat and pressure. They're both made out of the same stuff, carbon. But the carbon molecules in that charcoal briquette are loose and they're random. <clears throat> and in the process of the center of the earth, there is a heat and a pressure which is beyond our capacity to even imagine, which is brought to bear on those carbon molecules. And what they begin to do is they begin to line up with each other. Those carbon molecules begin to get in line with each other. And they begin to form connections. And those connections make them strong. And a charcoal briquette becomes transformed into a diamond in the heart of the earth where it is hotter and more pressurized than we would like to have to think about going through. But that's the difference between a lump of coal and a diamond is heat and pressure. There's a process for rubber called vulcanization. You want to know what your tires are basically made out of? Sap from trees. Or at least that's what the original tires were. <clears throat> rubber trees. And that sap is brought out, and that sap is extremely sticky. That's the only quality that it really has going for it. In fact, it's not even a really all that desirable quality. If any of you have ever seen rubber sap, if you stick to it, pine tar has nothing on rubber sap. It is nasty stuff. But if you take that that rubber sap, and put it through a process which we call vulcanization, which takes heat and pressure. And when that is brought to bear on that, it becomes rubber, which is incredibly useful. But the transformation from that sticky sap to a useful rubber takes heat and pressure. <clears throat> the metals of the earth are precious and powerful, but all they are is just an ore. Iron ore is just an ore until you put heat and pressure. You put it into a crucible and all the dross is burnt off. The metal, it melts and the nasty stuff floats up and you skim that away and then you get a pure metal. And from that ingot, they take those metals and they mix them together to get steel. <clears throat> and that metal is just a lump of metal until some forger sticks it in a fire and heats it up. And when that metal is heated up, you want to know what happens to those molecules? They straighten up. And they start to line up and get, <clears throat> get flexible. And then you know what happens? Some mean, mean person takes a hammer and an anvil and sticks that hot metal between a hammer and an anvil and sparks fly, <clears throat> and pressure is brought to bear, and heat is brought to bear. And in that process of metallurgy, transformation takes place. And what was just a lump of metal becomes a sword. But that doesn't happen without ironing, sharpening iron. It doesn't happen without heat and pressure. The transformative process is not without heat and pressure, but the end result is something beautiful and flexible and strong and sharp and useful. <clears throat> and I want you to know that this journey that you have been on has not been easy. It's not been simple. There has been pressure and there has been heat and there will be in the future. But what I want to hope to convince you of this morning is that it will be worth it all. The end result will be transformation from something that just was into something that is going to be more useful, more beautiful, more flexible, more effective. That's what transformation can result in. It's just that that process is not clean and simple and easy. That process requires heat and pressure. But what I want you to know is you are where God wants you to be, and you will be where God wants you to get to, and your journey on that process is mostly predicated on how well you're going to relax into him as he takes you where he wants you to be. I just encourage you, don't fight the Lord. Just roll with him. Let him lead you. And where he leads you, follow all the way. All the way.
<clears throat> so I'm going to try to sing. Where he leads me, I will follow. Remember that song? Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. <laughs> I'll go with you, with you all the way. <laughs> that was the worst. <laughs> but it doesn't make it less true because it was really bad. So in the singing of it, I actually have quite a good singing voice. You wouldn't believe it, but I do. <laughs> I just want to encourage you to follow him. Follow him. Follow the Lord. He's going to take you where you need to be. <clears throat> He's going to get you there. I just encourage you to, to not abort the process. Don't, don't draw back because it's hot. Don't draw back because there's pressure. <laughs> Lean into it. Lean into him. Lean into him. And the heat and the pressure that you feel will become miraculously transformative. And the changes you're experiencing are going to result in blessing. That's what I believe. <clears throat> this dream that I had, it was both a dream and a nightmare, and now it's a dream again. And this dream that you've had is a dream, and now it's a nightmare, but I want you to know it's going to be a dream again. <laughs> I believe that to be true. You'll get where he wants you to be. <clears throat> So let's stand together. <clears throat> so I'm gonna I'm gonna lay hands on my friend and I'm gonna I'm gonna bless this couple as the leaders of the church, but I want you to feel, if you will, by extension, a blessing upon this congregation, upon this work, upon the hard work that's yet to be done, all the times the sound is gonna have to be run, all those all the times you're gonna have to click on the buttons to get the worship deal right, all the songs you're gonna have to lead, all the offerings you're gonna have to take, all the <clears throat> all of that work. Uh, it's going to result in something amazing. I really believe that. Lord, I thank you for my friend. I thank you for Jen. I thank you for CJ. I lay my hands upon them, and I bless them in your name. I bless them in the name of Jesus Christ, the strong and only begotten Son of God. I pray a blessing upon this church as they are in their chrysalis, as they are standing on the sea with the army behind them and the mountains on the side hemmed in, they have, their die has been cast. They, they've got nowhere to go but forward. And because of that, they're going to step out by faith and do it. Because Maybe because they have no other choice. Maybe because it's what they want in their heart. God, I pray that you would give faith to this congregation to see it through. To let the heat and the pressure be transformative. To let all of this process, which is real and vibrant and visceral and hard and awesome result in something which is more useful, more flexible, more beautiful than we could have ever had without it. Lord, I bless New Song. I pray that there would be tremendous miracles in its future. I prophesy that the problems they face today, they will never have to face again. I speak like Moses to his people that, that there, there are problems. They will be in the rearview mirror. There might be new problems that will come, but the same God who brought us through the Red Sea is going to take us through all of them, is going to overcome. And when we kick against him, we will not thwart your, your ultimate destiny, Lord. So I pray that you'd give us willing spirits willing hearts to go through the, the fire, to go through the sea, to go through the desert, to go through the battles, and to be victorious because you have called us to be victorious. I bless this congregation in your name that they will now lean into this journey and see it through and, and on the other side of that sea have a tremendous, miraculous party as the children of Israel did when they saw the hand of the Lord at work. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. Wanna, we uh, are going to take offering now and um, worship the Lord of giving. And uh, there's always this easy assumption to be made when a, a church has had a long history as Bellavista has and they've grown to their point. But um, I know Pastor Jonathan... Uh, can always use a blessing, and um, I'd love to be able to sow back to him a little bit of his 
uh, efforts. So if you'd like to give um, an offering towards Pastor Jonathan just for, for him and his family, uh, you can put on... Do everything else he says, don't do that. You can put on the memo, put on the check memo line or put it on the offering envelope. If you're getting cash, just uh, put Pastor Jonathan and uh, we'll make one check. Make it to New Song, we'll make one check to him. And uh, remember, your any commitments you made to missionaries, that is their... That is their livelihood that the Lord is providing through you, so remember that. And uh, we're going to just pray. Boys, one of you want to pray over the offering? Dear Jesus, I thank you for today, God. And I pray that you would bless everyone here and that the offering would that we give today would uh, go, to, go to where you want it to go, God. And I pray that it would that you would multiply it, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Jonathan, I think he just prayed you up there. He said, let it go where you want it to go, Lord. Not where Pastor Jonathan wants it to go. All right. Let me talk to you just a moment um, while we're doing that, and then uh, we're going to dismiss. Um, w- w- Jennifer and I had a wonderful day yesterday. Uh, we had planned to just take a day of rest, which we don't often. And, uh, you know, I just am in that mode where we got a good night's sleep, and I'm like, got to do something for the building project. Well, actually, Tuesday night, we're going before the planning commission to ask for some changes on landscaping. Not a huge deal, just difference of trees and, you know, some placement, a little bit of that. But uh, we were really excited. We had fun. We need you to pray. This is not the best time at all to plant. I don't know if you know that. In fact, most of the nurseries are running out of stuff and the things we want. Um, we had one discouraging guy said, oh, I'm going to be surprised you find any of this. <laughs> so, be praying that that works out, or they give us leniency to plant at a better time. Maybe I think in the fall you get another opportunity. So uh, just be praying about that, but we're excited. I'll just give you a little, if it works out, we looked at, uh, what's the tree again? The Yoshino cherry trees, which have this wonderful white bloom, which will look good with the church. Uh, for They're the earliest bloomers, and then in the fall their leaves turn a nice red or orange too. So you get color in both in both spring and fall. So we're looking at those instead of the October Glory maples, which are very standard around here, have something a little different. So that white will really look good with the front of that building and those white windows. Um, we're looking at some very fragrant, um, help me with the names again, the little bushes that have flowers that they say smell awesome, pr- type of privet, and along the front of the building and others, and then some, uh, the what's the, mer- crepe, crepe myrtles? Some crepe myrtles with white blooms as well. And so uh, we, not, not that the engineers did bad, but we just basically changed everything that they, <laughs> they suggested. Um, but it, it's just going to really look good. Uh, we really believe it's going to look good. with uh, And I didn't know that the, the tree we pick is actually, for our nation, a very important tree. Uh, it's a very showy tree. And in Washington, D.C., it's a uh, focal point for a cherry blossom festival. And so anyway, uh, going to be great, and it's really not any different price than the trees they picked for us. So we're not up in our price, our spending, we're just choosing different. Um, so that being said, uh, this week, uh, Joe, do you mind telling me uh, what is the plan for more chair cleaning for those who are helping? Okay. Okay, great. And uh, then Belinda has been helping painting some of the parking lot light heads so we can get our parking lot light poles up. She's painting doors. I'm sure if you want to come help her, she could put you to work on that. And I think you're, you said you'll be back on Tuesday. Um, so uh, there's that. And then um, pray for more RVers. We can still use RVers. And we also still need help with the lawn care. Uh, we did get a meter on our fire hydrant to save some money because we were, uh, the sewer is the expensive part. So now we don't pay that on our irrigation for that. But Brother Bill's been coming out in the morning and kind of setting them out. But it's some work to move around the property. We can only run two to three sprinklers at a time, so it's got to move. That's an area you can help as well. All right. Well, I know we've gone over, but it's been more than well worth it. And the last thing I want to leave us with is this, in tying in Pastor Jonathan's sermon. So through the years, um, as I pastored, you know, it was a hard transition at first for us because we left Walmart. And we're like, is this going to work financially and all these things? So is this church really going to want us as especially the biker image I had, all these things going on, and the death of Pastor Jim. And we had some honeymoon. It was really bliss. Uh, not a lot of drama. There's one serious issue, and I went to Pastor Jonathan, a leader I had that I, I went, and um, he began to give us advice. We'd go to him, 
And um, it took me some maturing to understand this, but he would tell me some things that you might, might, might be able to say or just helpful a little more in the beginning. Now he kind of says, well, what do you think you should do? <laughs> the beginning. And I started telling Jen, like, I can't say what he just said to say. I, the people will fire. I'll, they'll be, I'll be leaving. I realize that with the seasoning and all, he has got to a place where when you are, people are sure that you love them and that you're not going anywhere and that you want the very best for them to do that, you begin to be able to say things that you couldn't say before. And so now I'm going into my seventh year, about going into seven years in January of pastoring here. And, um, you know, it, it seemed like we had that bliss. And then when God started leading us to make changes for us to finally not just keep the status quo going, make changes, we started making people mad. You know, and I would get asked, hey, where's so-and-so? And I'd be trying so hard not to say, you know, I don't want to say, well, they're mad at me or this or that. You know, and people say, well, where's that person? Well, they're mad at me. And, and honestly, you know, everybody's perspective is different. I'm not perfect and make mistakes. And, and yes, we've made some people mad and we've tried to resolve where we can. But the, the thing I do know about this is that Pastor Jonathan's message is so timely because as ministers and as believers, yes, you get hurt by one another sometimes. But I love what you said, is that you give it to the Lord, you do all you can, and if you can follow Him, keep the right things the right things, if you just follow Him, then at a certain point, you have to just be obedient and let the Lord sort the, sort the other things out and just keep plowing the field. Because, again, if you look around and you see missing people and seats and everything, it's easy to get discouraged as the kingdom's being built. But I know this, we're too far along to turn back anyway. <laughs> that whole Jenna is like, anybody can get mad at me all they want, but what am I supposed to do? We've got to, we, yeah, I hate debt. And the one thing I will receive for sure is the prophecy that some of the things we'll never encounter again. And I pray we never have to borrow money again. I pray, I pray that. I, I, I hate that, that that's how we had to start, but I felt like that's what we need to do to get going. But when we pay that debt off, I pray that the history of New Song from that point forward, we never have to borrow money again. And that the Lord will just lead us that way. So God bless you as you go and, and uh, have a wonderful Sunday. Thank you, Pastor Jonathan.